The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Thanks so much for having me here. Let me just echo everything that Saul said. You know, what we do is made possible exclusively by the body of Christ. And it is a beautiful thing. I remember coming into this role uh, over seven years ago, being commissioned at the EPC. And at the time, there was this great conversation that had happened as I was going onto the field where people from the EPC, the larger EPC body, were asking the question, should it not be uh, a time like now in which the churches give so much of their resources that these missionaries don't even have to raise support anymore? They can all be salaried. And I remember sitting in a room and I didn't have a voice to speak. I wasn't even on the field yet, but it was my colleagues, all the other missionaries in the APC who had the strongest voice against it. I said, absolutely not. There is a connectivity to the larger body of Christ through going to churches, connecting you to the mission of God, going on your behalf as an ambassador, and the reliance on God and the intimacy we experience with God as we live by faith. They said, no, we would reject that. We don't ever want to live off of a salary. And so I have experienced that over the course of these last few years, and specifically right here in Edgington. You have kept me on the field, my family on the field. I don't ever travel with my family. I have no idea why Saul does that. But I go all alone. Uh, and, uh, and so we are, we are I'm part of I-10, the International Theological Education Network. We train and work with partners over 10 different countries around the world who have a desire to see the word of God preached rightly, to see people uh, taught how to do evangelism, church planting, in regions where there is absolutely no access to education. And it's incredibly exciting work. I'll share some of the stories through the preaching of the word today. Uh, join with me as we prepare to hear from God's word this morning. In the book, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17 can be found in page 965 in the Pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? If we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. It's the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, as we enter into this time, we ask that your Holy Spirit would dwell among us, illuminate our hearts, our minds, that we might rightly discern the message that you have for us today, your church, your bride, that you may beautify it. Lord, I pray that whatever, whatever is true would remain today, would move from our heads to our hearts and cause us to, to join you in your work of building the kingdom. Lord, if there is anything today at all that is false, simply let it fall away. We pray in this moment of time we would touch eternity. You would do something significant in our, in our presence today, Lord God, that we might be a people who leave looking more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Passage today, Paul speaks about what it means for us to partner with God as ambassadors in his kingdom and begins, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
I said a bit of an interesting place to start. I know it starts with the word but. And what Paul is referring to here is that he is out and about doing the work of God preaching. And he has just experienced something unsettling in his own heart. And he is saying in the previous passage, I went to this one place thinking I was going to preach there. And my spirit became unsettled and I was unable to do it. And yet he goes on to say, but despite this setback, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Triumphal procession is a bit of an interesting word, a technical term in the Bible used elsewhere. Paul says it this way in Colossians 2. He said he disarmed Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, that same word, over them in him. And it has this connotation, if you were to think about in, in, in biblical times, and it is the picture of a king going out to a, another king on the battlefield. And when the king has won, he takes the, the defeated king and his entire army, and he would strip them naked. He would tie them one to another, sometimes through the nose or bound by the hands, and he would drag them behind his chariots back to his own people. And the people would come out to cheer on the king, and they would stand on the sides of these roads, and they would mock and spit on their defeated armies as the king came in. That is the technical term for what a triumphal procession is. And Paul drills down here and it says, Christ always leads us in this triumphal procession. And again, what he had said in Colossians, that this is exactly what Jesus did by conquering death and evil on the cross, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame. And the image here that, that, that Paul is drawing our attention to is that in Christ Jesus now, those that have put our trust in Jesus get to join in on this triumphal procession, that, that all of, of Satan and his minions have been absolutely disarmed, defeated, and are put to open shame by what Jesus did. And now the gospel can go forth. And so Paul is saying at the very beginning here, I had this bit of a setback, but I trust this, and I know this to be true, that whatever I might see with my eyes, the reality is such that Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Always that we go forth. I was thinking about this last month. I was, I was in the country of Albania. I visit there a couple of times a year. That's one of our sites. And I was walking through this underground bunker. Uh, many people don't know. I certainly did not. About five years ago is the first time I went to Albania. I did not know much about Albanians' history. Albania is the only country in world history whose parliament had ever declared the country itself to be officially atheist. And they had a series of brutal dictators, the last one, Enver Hocha, and he began to have a series of trials for every single Christian, Orthodox, Catholic, anybody who had any faith at all through these very public trials and began to execute them all, so much so that at the end of the freedom of that country in the 1990s, most scholars agree that there was only two evangelicals left in the entire country. He killed 15% of the entire population. And yet, I was there because of a man named Hervin. Hervin grew up in a Muslim family, and he was going to school to be an imam, a Muslim version of a pastor. And it was during that time, in the early 1990s, that places, uh, people like Campus Crusade and other people had come flooding into this, into this country that was atheist and began to set up ministries. And he said, right across from the mosque was this little budding church plant. And every single day I would come out of my studies in the Islamic Center and I would have all of these obnoxious Christians 
just peppering me with these questions, apologetic questions that I was not trained to answer. And I got very, very frustrated. And so he said, my last year of training, I decided I'm going to finally get a hold of a Bible. It was very hard to find one in those days in Albania, but he found one. He said, I'm going to read all the way through the New Testament. And as you can imagine, in that process, he came into contact with the living Lord, gave his life to him. And he knew no other Christians drops out of seminary studies and what he began to do is he knew there was four or five of these little church plant gatherings all around in the area and what he would do is every single Sunday he would try to get to as many of them as he could and in his broken little English he would try to write down the sermons that were being spoken and then he would come back to his own home village to this tree in the middle of the village and he would gather everybody that he could around and he would simply try to read from his notes the messages he had heard and there I was that week now uh, this is over 20 years later, in a seminary that he has formed. With 75 students, 75% are Muslims converted to Christianity, and he has five church plants, and each one of these ministers in different parts of Albania is spreading the gospel, and there's an unbelievable transformation happening. And I thought about that as I'm walking down through this cold bunker where so many of the Christians were killed and brutally tortured, and yet... Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. The gospel cannot be stopped, even in Albania. And he goes on to say that in this truth, in this knowledge of our triumphal procession we participate in, it is through us that Jesus has decided to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, through you and through me. Right, scent is one of the strongest of all of our senses. I was going to tell a, a little story about Jeff Lancaster, who yesterday, for whatever reason, wanted to step inside a pig pen and see it for the first time. And so me and Zach were over at the farm, and we, I think we pleaded with him a number of times, probably not the best idea, brother. It's not what you think it is. Like, this isn't going to work out so well. And he was emphatic, and so we let him get in there. And then we paid the price the rest of the day as we drove in that car. <laughs> I think he had some regrets there. <clears throat> so it's interesting that Paul uses this, this very metaphor. We are the fragrance. We are the scent, right? Of all of our senses, that's the one. And I'll tell you, it, it is unbelievable to me that as we travel to some of these countries, there, there is a scent. And you imagine it, right? Like you went to India. You drop down to India. You know you're in India. You're not in Illinois anymore, right? And, and there is something associated with, with, with negative things, right? Like with, with death and poverty, Sin, like we, 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 there is a scent to it. And so he says that we go forth with a different kind of scent that people can recognize before we ever open our mouths, before we, we ever do any kind of ministry at all, that there is a scent that, that is on us. And it is the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ that we are those that have had our hearts illuminated and we can, we can recognize who the Savior of the world is and we bring that with us. I was in Myanmar one time at one of the largest Buddhist temples in all of Southeast Asia. People come from all over the world to worship at this temple. And I was there with just two other brothers, and we spent the day walking around. And it is so large that there are entire sections, almost like a, like a mini Disneyland or something, where there was different countries represented. You can go to the Japanese altar, and you can go to the Chinese altar, and people were just there. And they were just, there was gnashing of teeth is the only way I could describe it. As we looked around, as see people crying out to these golden Buddhas, and they were pouring water over their heads, and they were weeping, and they were crying because of their, their sense of their guilt guilt and of their shame and in, and in the middle of that place in this courtyard the three of us just stopped we just overwhelmed 
with the lostness of a people. I'm talking in this day, perhaps 1,000, 2,000, maybe 3,000 people gathered together to worship a false god that could not hear, that could not save them, that could not wipe away their sin. And it was almost a sense that, that in that place, we were walking around and it was clear we had the scent of Jesus on us. And so we gathered and we just prayed in that place. And we're promised here that, that as we do that, as we are bearers of the kingdom, we are the ones who carry the good news of life and of forgiveness and of redemption and hope. And that is you, that as you go about your business to the places that God has called you, to your sphere of influence among your neighbors, your family, your friends, that you go, Paul says, as an ambassador. You are a representative of Jesus Christ. And in that place, you can't help it. It is on you. People are going to recognize that you have a knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he says, some people are going to smell life on you. As some people are going to recognize that the rescuer is real, that these stories that perhaps they have heard about all their lives, about this king that came to save his people, they're actually true. They've come to an end of themselves. And you are the good news because they realize that there is hope for this unsettling feeling they have always had in their life that I cannot save myself. And you are there to bring them the good news that that is true, but that there is someone who can. But he's also very honest that to others, that very same scent is going to smell like death. Because it is going to be a constant reminder that they cannot save themselves. That in this age of individualism and, and, and self-assurance and this ability to pull myself up by my bootstraps, that I want to be a good person just by the good works that I do, that all of that is a sham. And you're going to be a constant reminder of that. That the only way to salvation is for you to actually confess with your, your mouth and bow down before the only king who can save you. And that is horrible news. It smells like death to people. And so we go forth as missionaries, every single one of us, as bearers of the kingdom, as ambassadors, with the scent of Christ on us, knowing that truth. And that's exactly why Paul reminds us that we go forth, whether people smell life or death, we go forth as those who take part and the triumphal procession. Reality is, we look at something like that, we say that we are the people who are to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That should be a bit unsettling. That of all the people in the world that God could choose to be the one who represents him in the world today, we might all of us look at our own lives and say, I am insufficient for that task. Absolutely insufficient. I know myself well enough to know that if, that if I am the only representation of the gospel to someone who has never heard it before, how can I possibly do that? And Paul recognizes it. He asks that question, I think, quite honestly. He says, we are the aroma of Christ. And he says, who is sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient for that task? I do believe it's a bit rhetorical because I think Paul himself would be the first to know, right? And every single one of Paul's letters, what does he have to begin with? A defense of his own ministry. Because up to that point, all everybody ever knew about the Apostle Paul was that he was the one who went into their houses and into their village and dragged their children and their fathers and their mothers away to prison and had them stoned for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet he's standing in the tabernacle today proclaiming Jesus Christ anybody felt insufficient for the task of being the fragrance of Jesus, perhaps it was the Apostle Paul. He knew it. He felt it. 
this great burden? How could I possibly be sufficient for this task? No one is. That's the truth, right? And Paul would even say this later. In this same letter, he would come back to this theme. He writes later on in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient, he says. He has made us sufficient for this task, to be ministers of a new covenant. He's already made us sufficient, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That that he is saying that the love of Jesus, the love of the Father, the Spirit has been poured into our hearts, that we might cry out, Abba, Father, that we might carry around as ambassadors the light of the gospel in our lives. And he is saying, because of that, Jesus himself has made you sufficient. Already you are sufficient. That we are not to be a people who hide behind our own insecurities. That we can't simply do this. That there are other people that maybe we should pay more missionaries to professionally go out and do this work. Pay more pastors to do the work of ministry. That we could just bring our unsaved friends here so that Zach can tell them the gospel. You are sufficient to do this, he says. Every single one of us who bears the name of Jesus Christ goes out, and you are already made sufficient to do this. Your own story, the only way that God has shaped you with your values and the particular things that you do and the people that he has surrounded you with right here in this community are for a purpose, and it is to bring his kingdom to bear right here in this community. And he says, and you are sufficient to do it. And he tells us how. How is it that we go about this business then of partnering with God and building his kingdom? And first, it's through our speech. It's how we talk. It's the proclamation of the gospel. I had asked Saul earlier during Sunday school class, what's one of the obstacles you're experiencing right now with this next generation of folks thinking about missions? And he said, all of them are anxious to go out and go overseas, but not to preach the gospel, but to do social justice. They believe in human trafficking and, and digging wells and doing great work of the kingdom. But the proclamation of the gospel, Paul puts at the forefront here again. How can they be saved if they do not hear the gospel? And so we are a people that even through our deeds and through the relationships that we have, there is a moment, and we have, made, we have been made sufficient for, in which we preach the gospel. We tell people the good news. We declare the goodness of Jesus and his ability to save. And he says three different ways. That sincerely, that's how we do this. We do it with sincerity. Meaning this, that, that our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends are not a project. They're not points in our crown, right? We do it out of sincerity. We do it with the same spirit that Jesus himself did when he came and he put his human flesh on. And he dwelt among us. Like with sincerity, for greater love for us than for his own life. That's sincerity, that you would go forth not because you feel some sort of burden to say, well, I just need to be obedient, I'm going to do this, but that you genuinely love the lost. That in many ways that we would pray together as a community that it would overwhelm us. That it would overwhelm us to know that there are people in our own lives right now that apart from Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from him. That would burden us. And I'll tell you, it's one part of my own life that God has worked on mightily since I've entered into the world of missions, that I live in northeast Georgia, in the heart of the Bible Belt, and uh, you're hard-pressed to find anyone in Georgia who isn't a Christian, right? (laughs) 
Doesn't matter if they've never darkened the doors of a church their entire life. Like their great, 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 great grandfather prayed a prayer sometime, and they're all Christians now, right? But I'll tell you, it's incredibly different to walk into a into an airport, get on a plane, and go overseas into a country like Vietnam, where there is less than one percent Christians. And you are flooded in these streets in Hanoi, just millions and millions and millions of people. And you're walking every day towards classes and what you're doing every day with these like ancestral temples that are set up. And people bowing and kneeling on the sidewalk to these gods, lighting fragrances. Like that, that will overwhelm you. You see the gravity of it, and you see the, the, the world population and the number of people that over 40 peop, uh, 40% of the world's population still have not heard the gospel. It should overwhelm us. Cause us to be a people of sincerity, with a genuine spirit of the love of Christ, that we want to see his kingdom come, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. We would not withhold from them the cure for their disease says sincerely, we are not peddlers, he says. Not peddlers. We're not doing this for our own fame, our own glory. There's one obstacle that we hear over and over and over again with our national partners is that they are not competing necessarily against persecution, animism, the dominant religion in their neighborhoods and in their country, but it is against other people claiming to be Christians that are false preachers. He says that's the greatest obstacle to our work here. And so I had shared, I didn't have the video on me right now, but the reality is, is even just last weekend, one of our friends in Sierra Leone sent me a video, the gathering of over 200 people who were walking forward to the podium just like this, where they would hand to the pastor two bottles of Coca-Cola, and he would open them and pour them over the top of their head, and they would just drench in it, and he was promising them that he had blessed the Coke, and that if they were baptized by him, they would have wealth and prosperity and healing from all their ills. Hundreds of people live off of maybe $8 a day spending their money on Coca-Cola to have it poured over their heads. And there's other versions of that, even in our own country, of this prosperity gospel, this other gospel that God wants you to have your, your best life now. And it's a, it's a gospel void of suffering. It's a, it's, a, it's a gospel that is not sincere. And he says, that's not us. And he says we do it as a people commissioned by God, doing it out of a sense of obedience, not because we want to earn God's salvation, but in light of receiving it, what else can we do? That we are our people now having received the good news that our calling is to be obedient, to go forth and share it with others. We've been called and commissioned to speak about God. We're given a job to do. And we have been empowered, made sufficient to do so. I was preaching one time in the southern part of Russia down in the North Caucasus, very Muslim region of Russia. And I was there during a season, it changes sometimes, but this was a particular uh, era in Russia in which all Westerners were prevented from speaking publicly, could not speak in the local universities, could not preach at church. And so we were at, at dinner with a gathering of pastors on a Saturday night, and one of them leaned over to me and whispered and said, do you want to preach in my church tomorrow? And uh, I said, well, I'm not allowed to. And he said, well, here's the deal. Okay? He said, I've got this outreach to heroin addicts. We meet upstairs in this old appliance store. And he says, a very small gathering, 40 people or so. And he said, and I know all the people of my congregation. So if an FSB agent, like the modern KGB folks, if one of them's there, I'll give you the nod, and you don't come forward. Okay, but if he's not there, or nobody's there, I know everybody, come forward and preach. And so I got the nod. I prepared my message. I got up, preached a sermon. 
was getting ready to close, and then the pastor came back up, and he called the next guy. That guy came up, preached another entire sermon, another 30 minutes, whole different text, and then he sat down. The pastor comes back up, calls the third person, another entire sermon, three full sermons, I had no idea what was going on, and so with my translator afterwards, Andre, I said, Andre, what, what was that all about? He said, this is the tradition in Russia. He said, in every single church, evangelical church in Russia, you will always hear a minimum of two sermons, if not three. And in fact, he said, there's a bit of a running joke, because those that are only doing two now, we think have become a little bit liberal. <laughs> and he said, and here's the history behind it, is that we spent so many decades under atheism and communist rule, that from week to week, we never knew which one of our brothers or sisters were going to be imprisoned or killed. And so we always had prepared a number of people to come and preach the word in case we were to show up at church and our pastor had been arrested. And so he said, so when we got together, if we got together, if all three people were there to preach, all three of them would preach because we didn't know if the next week anybody would be there to preach. And he said, so that's part of our heritage. It's part of our tradition now. It's a constant reminder of the procession, the triumphal procession of Jesus Christ amidst, amidst horrendous acts in Russia that the church still goes forward. And they continue to proclaim very physically, week after week, we will not stop preaching the gospel. Do whatever you want to us. We will have even more people come forward to preach the gospel, but we will continue to go forth because we are preaching as people commissioned by God. We don't have an option. And finally, he says, we speak in Christ. We don't speak in our own strength with our own opinions. We don't speak in the flesh. Our job as preachers is not to preach another gospel, a gospel that might be palatable to the changing winds of our culture. We speak in Christ, for Christ, by Christ. This is the only name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. Like I had mentioned, if you walk the streets of a place like India... You see millions of people passionately pursuing a myriad of, of Hindu gods. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, washing themselves in rivers that can't clean. In Indonesia, you're just like overwhelmed with the numbers of calls to prayer. It seems like there's a mosque on every single corner. You can feel the oppressive weight when you are there of just these, these constant calls that say, Allah is God, Muhammad is his prophet. Bow down and worship all day long. And we, carrying the fragrance of Christ, speak a different gospel. We speak in Christ. And we are his ambassadors to do so because Christ is leading us in a triumphal procession. Not sometimes, not most of the time, not just when life is good, not when the government supports us, obviously. We preach Christ as Lord at all times because God is with us. He's promised to lead us triumphantly. I'll share one last story to perhaps put the point a little more clearly. Next month, at the beginning of March, I'll be in Vietnam. Not just Vietnam, but I'll fly into Hanoi, and we will spend time in the northern jungles of North Vietnam, which for many of you here brings back incredibly painful memories. And we are there because of one little college, 35 students in the very heart of Hanoi. I don't know the whole history. I have no idea why it's able to stand these days. But the government for now has given the ability to train 35 pastors at a time. And we are gathering those 35 pastors. We're taking the 20 best of those graduates. And we are training them how to be trainers. 
And then they will be commissioned to carry the fragrance of Christ to some 600 pastors that we at least know of in the northern jungles of Vietnam with churches all over that region. And they will have localized training of exactly what we've taught them over the course of a week to those pastors. Now, when we were visiting last year, some of those pastors, we went into a church. And in that place, there was over 600 followers of Jesus Christ that were gathering at this church, but not all at one time. And outside of the church, we noticed that there was just sheets of paper with names written all over them, just stuck to the side of the church. And I asked the pastor, I said, what are these names right here? He says, well, these are all the people in our community who have at one time or another come to this church. And because we never know when one of them might be taken, persecuted, might be killed, we have these names up front and people are invited every single week to write something next to those names if they know what's happened to these people. And with couples, especially husbands and wives, he said, we're in a region right now where the people know that on Sundays, Christians go to church. So the husband and the wife can never attend church together because everybody in the village knows that's when the house is going to be empty and it'll be ransacked and there'll be theft and it'll be burnt perhaps. So every single week, just the husband or just the wife comes to church and worships in that place. And yet... The gospel goes forward. It can't be stopped. And despite the real threat, right? You today, I today, we gathered in this place, and I doubt any one of you thought that there might be a chance that by attending this service today, we might leave this building in handcuffs and never be seen from again. And yet, the triumphal procession of Jesus Christ goes forward, that we get to be a part of it, that you are made sufficient to carry that fragrance right where you are right now. And that for us, there is no greater calling. There is no greater calling because there is no God like our God, that he has already defeated Satan. and We now go as ambassadors of that good news that desperately needs to be told. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled, incredibly humbled. I don't want to use that word lightly, Lord, but it is true. As Paul himself says, who's sufficient for these things? The weight, the gravity that we are called to be your ambassador, that by our life and by our ministry and by our proclamation of the gospel, people will understand or fail to understand the good news of Jesus. We get to be your representatives. Lord, I pray right now for these people who are also commissioned by God, sent by you to speak with sincerity in the name of Christ and about Christ, Lord. Would you empower them by your spirit that the kingdom may come more fully in their own hearts and in their own homes and in this community and around the world for Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.